We're all aware of the search for the Titans, Merciful, and the tragic news of its implosion. People are now beginning to complain about the cost of the search. What does the Bible have to say about that? Stay with me, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. Hello, friends. Welcome to Open Line with Dr. Michael Rydelnik, Moody Radio's Bible study across America. My name is Michael Rydelnik. I'm Dean and Professor of Jewish Studies at Moody Bible Institute. I'm so glad to be sitting around the radio kitchen table with you, taking your questions about the Bible, God, and the spiritual life. If you have a question, now's the time to call. Get started early. The phone number here is 877-548-3675. That's 877-548-3675. Trisha McMillan is our producer. Handling all things technical is Courtney Young. And answering the phones is Lynn Zhu. Now, go get yourself a cup of coffee, open your Bible, because we're about to study the scriptures together. But before we get to your questions, let's talk about the value of people. When the submersible exploring the Titanic went missing, there was an all-out international search to find and recover it. The the United States, Canadian resources were used, including Air Force, Navy, Coast Guard units dispatched. Now that we know the fate of the submersible, that there was a catastrophic implosion causing the instantaneous death of the five people aboard, the search for human remains continues. And that search will cost, in the end, millions and millions of dollars. Social media has exploded with complaints, and I've even personally heard people making comments about the cost. Someone said to me, if you're going to spend all that money to go down into an unsafe submersible, then sign a waiver at least, saying that if anything goes wrong, you won't have anyone look for you or spend any money on search and rescue. What a waste of money. On social media, some have complained not only about the cost, but they've even stated that there should have been no search and rescue because of the wealth of those on board the submersible. They paid for this expedition at the cost of about a quarter of a million dollars per person, and they were worth billions and billions of dollars, each of them. Resentment towards the rich is a common human attitude. But I believe the attempt to find the rescue, to find and rescue these folks, despite the foolishness of the exploration, was really important. That's because people, all people, whether wealthy, poor, or Midland, are of infinite worth to God, and they should be for us too. Here's why. First, people are valuable because we're all made in the image of God. In Genesis 1.26, God says, Let us make man in our image and according to our likeness. Like God, humanity is made into personal beings with mind, emotion, will, We're called to represent him in this world because we are to reflect his image. Second, people are of great value to God because he gave us dominion over this world. Psalm 8 asks, what is man that you remember him? Verse 4. The answer is found in verse 5, that God crowned humanity with glory and honor. You made him Lord over the works of your hands. Psalm 8, 5. 
This is what Genesis means when it says that God granted Adam and Eve dominion over the earth. A third reason people are of infinite worth to God is that he's made human life in a remarkable way. Psalm 139, David, in, in that psalm, David declares that God formed him in the womb, and as such he was remarkably and wonderfully made. Verse 14, this is true of every one of us. It's crucial to remember this because if we were to price the chemical value of an ordinary person, it would be around a dollar. If the skin is valued like cowhide, that's another three fifty, making a person's total value about $4.50. What God has done is mix all these parts together, blow the breath of life into that person, and it results in a human being that is both precious and priceless. Finally, the proof that people are of immeasurable worth to God is seen in that God paid an infinite price to redeem us. The most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16, declares that God loved the world of humanity in this way. He gave his one and his only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. As Paul writes, but God proves his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, the Messiah died for us, Romans 5.8. People are so valuable that God didn't even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all, Romans 8.32. Since we're all sinners, we were never worthy of God's supreme sacrifice. Yet we all have such great worth to God that he redeemed us through the precious blood of our Messiah Jesus and then raised him from the dead, so that we can have forgiveness and life, both now and forever. We dare not let anyone ever diminish the infinite worth of a human being. I was once in a car accident on the George Washington Bridge, driving between New York and New Jersey. Someone jammed on their brakes, and next thing you know, there were 10 or 12 fender benders, and I and my family, in our brand new Volvo 240, we were in the middle of the those fender benders. My front end was damaged. My rear end was damaged. Man, was I annoyed. But when I stepped out of my car, I, th I saw that several others were even more annoyed. They were more than annoyed. They were raging with anger. I didn't know where this would go, so I thought I better try and calm things down. As people were beginning to shout, I spoke up and asked, is anyone injured? And the answer, no, no, we're all fine. That's great, I said, because what was most viable, the human cargo in these vehicles, we were all safe. All the damage was with metal, rubber, and plastic, things that are easily replaced and fixed. It's the people that matter, because they are what matter to God. And it sort of calmed everyone down, just take our insurance uh, information with each other and our names and everything was okay. As I think about the desperate and expensive attempts to rescue the submersible, I'm reminded of that principle all over again. It's heartbreaking that the rescue didn't succeed, but it certainly was worth the effort. Just remember that we're going to keep talking about the scriptures. Uh, our phone number here, 
7.5. People often tell me, they complain. They say, it's really hard to get into open line. Well, that's because they wait. Now's the time to call. Uh, early in the program, when we're just first starting out, uh, now's the time to give us a call, 877-548-3675, with your question about the Bible, God, and the spiritual life. We've got some calls here I do want to get to, but before we do that, uh, I do want to mention our current resource. It's a classic by Charles Ryrie, Balancing the Christian Life. When Jesus followers, I, you know, I've talked to many Jesus followers, both new and very mature, we always want to grow. And when we, this desire to grow tends to get us off balance emphasizing one aspect of growth, growth over another. As a new follower of Jesus, this book gave me a great foundation for spiritual growth. I also still use it as a discipleship tool, not just with new believers, but with mature believers. They find it really helpful. It's yours today when you give it, well, we'll send it to you, but it's yours when you give a gift of any size to OpenLine. It's our way of saying thanks. We just want to send you a copy of Balancing the Christian Life by Charles Ryrie. It's a great resource. If you'd like to give, call 888-644-7122 or go to openlineradio.org. And remember, ask for Balancing the Christian Life. Well, we're going to go to the phones right now and speak with Robert in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, listening on WRMB. Welcome to Open Line, Robert. How can I help you? Yeah, hi. How are you? I'm well, thanks. Go ahead with your question. Are you there, sir? Yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me? Robert. Hello? Robert, yeah. Robert can't seem to hear me. What's going on? Okay, well, I uh, my question is, I'm reading in Jeremiah. Jeremiah 39.10 uh, states that uh, Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the guard left the land of Judah. Some of the poor people who owned nothing and gave them vineyards and fields at the same time. Uh, can you comment on that? Because I always pictured the captain of the Chaldean guard as being nasty, brutal, vicious, selfish, and uh, leaving no mercy. That, uh, that looks like an act of charity among the enemies of God. And then when it goes to... Um, Jeremiah 43.10, it says, Lay the stones, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, Israel or Judah was instructed to lay the stones in mortar, and Nebuchadnezzar put his throne on there. Could you use that as an illustration of the Dome of the Rock? And that's, that's what I had. Okay. Well, first of all, uh, when you read Isaiah uh, 40, is that what you mentioned? Uh no, What's Isaiah 3910. 3910, 39, yeah. Uh, they they were making all kinds of decisions. Jeremiah gets freed up, right? Uh, and said uh, that uh, it says here in verse 10, uh, I will certainly do. I'm, I'm actually having a hard time. There it is. Okay. Nebuzaradan, the commander of the guards, left in the land of Judah some of the poor people who own nothing. That's because they weren't worth bringing to, to Babylon. And he gave them vineyards and fields at that time. Uh, what he did is he gave them vineyards and fields that didn't belong to them. Think Bolshevism. That's really what happened. 
Uh, they took they took the people to whom it belonged, moved them to Babylon, and then said, "Okay, here you guys, you work these fields." Uh, it, I don't believe it was uh, anything other than theft. So that's that's the. I don't think it was such a great act of mercy. Uh, and then your second question was about the Dome of the Rock uh, that they built Nebuchadnezzar's uh, building there. Is that? No, 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 that? no. The, the instruction to Judah was to lay uh, stones in the mortar. And then uh, those stones in the mo- mortar is where Nebuchadnezzar set up his throne. Yeah. What I'm saying is, could you use that as an illustration of the Dome of the Rock in the future? I don't see it. <laughs> I really don't see it. Uh, it's it's just a, it's God's sign. Pick up large stones, set them in the mortar of the brick pavement that is at the opening of Pharaoh's palace at Taphanes. This is in the sight of the Judean men. Tell them, this is what the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, says. I will send for my servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. I will place his throne on these stones that I have embedded, and he will pitch his pavilion over them. Uh, he will come and strike down the land of Egypt, those destined for death to death, those destined for captivity to captivity, and those destined for the sword to the sword. I will kindle a fire in the temples of Israel, Egypt's gods, and he will burn them and take them prisoner. He will clean the land of Egypt as a shepherd picks slice off the garments, and he will leave them there unscathed. Uh, and he will leave there unscathed. He will smash the sacred pillars of the sun temple in the land of Egypt and burn down the temples of the Egyptian gods. That's just a reminder that those who fled to Egypt that they're not going to be safe. That Jer- that Jeremiah predicted that Nebuchadnezzar would come to Egypt as well. Really, uh, the idea of the Dome of the Rock was to build. Uh, a temple or a shrine on top of a sacred place to take it over and show your God is greater than their God. We're going to take a break here. Thanks for your call, Robert. Thanks for that careful reading of uh, Jeremiah. Keep reading uh, and keep looking to apply. That's great. Appreciate it. We're going to be right back with more of your questions. The phone number 877-548-3675. I'll be right back with more of your questions right here on Open Line. We're back. My name is Michael Rydelnik. This program is called Open Line. Our phone number here, 877-548-3675. Feel free to call with your question about the Bible, God, or the spiritual life. Also, you can go to our website, openlineradio.org. There's a link there that says, Ask Michael a Question, or actually a form. Click on that and fill out the form, and your question will be added to the mailbag. Uh, we're going to speak with Margaret in Listening in Georgia on WMVV. Welcome to Open Line, Margaret. How can I help you today? Yes, um, I didn't have a question. I had a statement about what you mentioned earlier about people being upset about the money that has been spent on these um, these people that have died in the, uh, I can never remember the name of it. But, the submersible, <laughs> but anyway, the type of submersible. I, yes, um, um, I, don't, I think that people are more upset. I know me myself, but I've heard other people say this, are more upset about the 
the value of other people's lives over the value of other people's lives. It seems that people who are have money or or famous are famous have more value than people who are not. For instance, there are missing children, people and children, you know, in the world, and we are not spending that money to search for these people. So that's the the whole. I know around here that was what I've been hearing a lot. Yeah. Well, I differ. I, if you don't mind, it's okay. I think that we can differ. I differ with you in this way. Uh, when miners get stuck in a mine, all efforts are made to try and rescue them. Uh, they are not the most uh, wealthy people, but they are valuable to God and humanity, and therefore they all efforts are made. I, I remember many cases with searching, trying to do everything that you can to get miners out of a collapsed mine. Uh, I, I, there are famous stories of working so hard to get a child that has fallen into a well out safely. Uh, or when hikers go hiking in Yosemite and, or some uh, park and they disappear. Or there's an avalanche in a state park and uh, foolish hikers have gone out uh, at a time when they shouldn't have. Uh, there's helicopter searches and uh, groups going out to find them. Now, I, I recognize that there are missing children. There are many efforts. Every time I look at a milk container, milk carton, uh, I see that there's lots of efforts to find missing children. The, the problem is many of the missing children are being hidden by those who may have taken them, or, uh, uh, but also uh, they sometimes teens run away and they don't want to be found making efforts to find them harder. But I do think that there's a lot of efforts. Every time I see a flashing light on the highway that there's been an abduction or some sort of missing child and we're to look for a certain car, uh, that's absolute concern for all human beings and obviously great concern for children. Uh, I, I, I just think that there are lots of efforts put out for ordinary people, not just wealthy people. So that's, uh, I think that the resentment here had more to do with them being wealthy uh, rather than, uh, it's almost like, well, if you're wealthy, you don't deserve it. And uh, I find that they deserved as much concern as people who are not wealthy. That's what I was saying. Am I able to talk? Sure. Am I, am I able to talk? Okay, I wasn't sure. I, I was saying, and I, okay. I, I agree with, I mean, people work hard. They earn their money. I, I agree with that. I just, sometimes I just think those are selfish acts when people do stuff, you know, that, like that kind of a thing. It's like, Find a waiver, say, spend my money, because I think it's selfish of people to do things like that. And well, I, I, if you I, listen, I, I said it was a stupid exploration. I, I, I think it was a big waste. I wouldn't have done it. Uh, but I think hikers going into areas where they shouldn't go and, uh, and people uh, venturing out during snowstorms for fun to see things, and then there's huge searches... Uh, or any sorts of things like that. Uh, people going swimming when they ought not to go swimming, and then their searches or going out on boats when they should not go on boats when there's warnings. This stuff happens all the time, and I know here in Chicago 
we're always having a search every summer. We'll be talking about searching for people along the lakefront. Uh, so I, I appreciate what you're saying, Margaret. I'm not disagreeing that uh, it was foolish. But all I'm saying is humanity is of infinite worth, and that's why people grave, give great efforts to help not just the wealthy, but the poor and the middle class and everyone. So at least we should. Okay? Uh, I hope that helps. Uh, thanks for your comments, though. Appreciate it. We're going to speak with Craig in Park Rapids, Minnesota, listening on KTIG. Welcome to Open Light, Craig. How can I help you? Yes, sir. I'd like to ask you a question about your opening scriptures, Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Yeah. Um, I have family members, <clears throat> pardon me, and I also have friends that have family members that have a low view of God. Uh, my my interpretation is that uh, to reach them, God is the first feminist because he created male and female equal. He created us as distinct. He also created male and female to be complementary, uh, that Adam was not complete without Eve, and Eve was not complete without Adam, and that uh, uh, <clears throat> because of this, Israel, what what became Israel, was was and is unique today, because if you were a woman in any other area there, a slave had more rights than you did, but here the God of the Bible is making us equal, treating us equal, loving us uh, with a love that you oh, can't oh, oh, find. Oh, Craig, so where, where are we going with this? What, what's, what's, where are you going? I, I'm trying to figure out what, what you're trying to okay. say. Okay, so I have friends that consider themselves to be feminists, so I said I think the God of the Bible is the first feminist because he treated us oh, Okay, I, I, I got that. I, I heard that. Do you have a question? Okay. Do you have a comment? Something yes, that my, you... my, no, my question is this. Is that a reasonable position to hold in your view? You're much more knowledgeable than I am. Oh. Is it a reason? Well, I wouldn't say God is a feminist. I think he's a humanist in the sense that God values all human beings, male and female. And I would venture to say that many times people who object to biblical uh, function structures, functional structures, uh, uh, fail to understand that in essence, in who we are, in our very being, male and female are completely equal. Uh, they now, when we think of the Godhead, you know, we, we I'm guessing you, like I, am a tri a Trinitarian, right, Craig? Are you there? Yes. Still? Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. okay. You yes, can talk. It's fine. Yeah. Uh, uh, the uh, we're both Trinitarians, and we believe yes. that God the Father and God the Son are of equal essence, right? That they're right completely equal but we understand that there's a different function that uh this is what the lord jesus said in john 6 he says i have come not to do my will but the will of him who sent me so he does the father's will now uh, that just demonstrates that there's a functional difference in first corinthians 11 right. when it speaks of the godhead it talks about the father being the head of the son the authority yeah. over the son not meaning uh that they're not equal, but they have a functional difference. And I think that God has made women, men and women 
having many functional differences, uh, and and that's okay because that's the the pattern of the Godhead. But in right. essence, and I agree with you, who we are, we are male and female in the image of God, and equal in essence. And then also, uh, it's where it says in Galatians three twenty eight, a verse that many people misunderstand, where it says there's neither male nor uh, female, uh, Jew nor Greek. What that's talking about, uh, I would, if you read the chapter, what it says is when it comes to justification by faith, there is no distinction made whether you're Jewish or Gentile. It's by grace through faith in Jesus. When it comes to justification, I think it's all faith, position it, too. Yeah. Well, no, it's about when it, the context is justification by faith. When it comes to justification by faith, there is no distinction made between male or female. We all come to God the very same way, by grace through faith. That's the point in Galatians 3.28. Not that there aren't differences between men and women. Otherwise, I, I just kind of caution you, don't go in the ladies' room. Uh, but uh, there are differences between men and women. But when it comes to our essence, who we are, uh, as human beings, male and female are equal. And then also, uh, in, fun- in, uh, uh, in justification, we're saved exactly the same way. We have the Holy Spirit and dwell us the same way. We're, we're redeemed the same way. Hey, thanks for your call, Craig. We're going to be right back with the mailbag, so don't go away. We're back. My name is Michael Rydelic. This program is called Open Line. Our phone number, 877-548-3675. You can call with your question about the Bible, God, or the spiritual life. But some of you don't call. You send your questions to the mailbag, and Trisha puts it together. And here she is, Trisha McMillan, producer of Open Line. So glad that you uh, are back after recovering from your Israel trip. Yes, the recovering may be ongoing. <laughs> Yeah, but you know, I'm, back. Took, I'm back. It takes about a week to recover from jet lag. I think I'm there now. I'm I'm good. So yeah, there yeah. was the jet lag, and then there was like the basic all nighter that I pulled yeah. to get back. So that yeah, that's I was awful, not anticipating. It? Yeah, I was like, oh, I didn't. I was anticipating the jet lag. I was not anticipating. Um, the yeah, that you leave in the middle of the night. Right, yeah. you leave it, so you, you don't sleep, sleep that night before. I dozed some. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but that's it was. It was great. Hello to everyone listening who went on the trip. It's nice to talk with you. And yeah, you thanks to for hear listening. me. I don't know. Thanks for yeah. listening. Hey, uh, you know, uh, last week I announced that we're going to do a Journeys of Paul tour in yeah. September. Yeah. And that, that's, that's a fairly, you know, it's on a ship. And we wanted to uh, make sure that every uh, cabin on the ship was taken. Uh, and I just, I was a little nervous, you know, will anyone respond? No joke. Uh, the, sh- the trip closed yesterday. No, it's full. It's full. That's it's a, crazy. It's amazing. People responded so quickly Wow. to that. So we now have a waiting list, uh, which is good because there are always people 
that something happens. I mean, it's so far away. There's something that's going to happen right. that they will uh, cancel. It's it's, it's going to be in September of 24. So you can uh, check it out. There's a banner across openlineradio.org, and uh, that banner is... Uh, uh, is where you click. It says uh, Journeys of Paul, Moody Journeys of Paul. Click on that, and it'll take you the information. And there'll be a place where you can click and and put your name on a waiting list if you're interested. I think that's, but it's just amazing. I I was just flabbergasted. Yeah, that's incredible. How, yeah, that's People, really fast. There was a lot of pent up energy for that. I think. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, or people yeah. who heard you talking about the Israel trip. And yeah. said, "Wait, I want to go on a trip. <laughs> I want to go on a trip too." Uh, I you know, while we, were... I think just the idea of it is is interesting. Like, I don't, I don't know that. Like, I've heard of these, but not very much. And so, to actually hear these are the cities you would go to, or here's how that kind of yeah. a tour would work, is um, kind of a novel, a novel yeah. idea that yeah, it isn't it's... as much, you know, as some of yeah. the other trips. And the the ship that we're on, the the Star Clipper, is a four mast sailing ship. Like so, the tall ships that yeah, you see, those kind yeah, of yeah, okay. yeah. It's not it's not a an apartment building on on sea. It's 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 a, it's a actually, real boat. It's a real boat. That's it. So huh. anyway, I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, but uh, by the way, when we were in Israel, this is something I I did want to mention. There were several people who were kitchen table partners. Yes. That were there and. I'm so grateful that I got to meet them. Of course, I, I am grateful for meeting all our listeners, and I uh, pre- appreciate everyone that listens. Uh, but uh, meeting a bunch of kitchen table partners, I thought that was fantastic. Uh, enjoyed it so much. I did want to ask you something. You know, when people become kitchen table partners, you know, we always give it a, a resource. Usually for two months, we, we offer something. Do the kitchen table partners get that as well? They... The kitchen table partners can request that. Okay. Um, our our current system, there are actually like two different um, databases. And so mm. the kitchen table partners have the opportunity. They get an email uh, once a month for that asking resource, if they want that. asking if mm. they want it, that they can request that resource. Um, mm-hmm. So that resource is available to them. So they can either request it through that email, and there's usually a cutoff date for that. Mm-hmm. Or they can call that same number and say, hey, I'm a kitchen table partner. Can I get this? Could I yeah. get a copy of this resource, That's please? Great. Well, I appreciate that. I'm glad yeah. that you, uh, you know, there's a lot of ministries that they will offer you a gift if if, uh, if you give to them, uh, but it's usually optional. Sometimes people don't want it. So I'm glad our kitchen table partners will get that. Uh, but the, one of the things they will get for sure is every other week, They'll get a special audio Bible study that I prepare exclusively for our kitchen table partners. If you're listening and you think, I'd like to keep Open Line on the air, uh, it's really ministered to me, and you'd like to become a kitchen table partner, uh, I, I appreciate if you consider that. All you have to do, if you'd like to become a kitchen table partner, is call 888-644-7122. Let me give you that number again, 888 7122, or you just go to our website, openlineradio.org, and you can sign up online. Well, let's get to some questions in the mailbag, Tricia. All right. Our first question is from Jill in Indiana, and I love this question because it shows a careful reading of the scriptures. Um, she listens on WMBI and says, is Psalm 2 considered an anonymous psalm, or was it penned by David per Acts 4.25? So when you look at the psalm, 
when you look at the Psalms, normally they will attribute them like a Psalm of David. There will be like a little subheading underneath the Psalm. This one does not have one of those. However, in Acts 4.25, it says... um, I'm going to read David this. David wrote Psalm it says, it says David wrote it. By the, by the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of our servant, our father David, your servant, said, and then it quotes part of Psalm 2. Mm-hmm. So, what do you think? Uh, well, first of all, uh, I do think that there, well, there are 73 Psalms that are identified as written by David in the Psalms. Psalm 2 does not have the superscription, but based on Acts 4.25, I think it's clear uh, and it's 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 plainly a psalm of David, David because of that. Now, I don't know if the final editor of the psalms, you know, David wasn't the guy that edited the psalms. There are psalms from the captivity written uh, 900 years or so, or five, 800 years after, not, not, not quite that long, 500 years after David, right? Uh, psalms of, like Psalm 137. There's psalms of the return from exile from the post exile written hundreds of years there's psalms of moses in there right so mm-hmm. two psalms of moses uh, so so the psalms are written psalm, by psalm of moses, many different of people yeah and and compiled into yeah. the book of psalms yeah. that we have so who so i don't know for sure that the let's call him the uh the editor of the psalms or the canonicler of the psalms who put it into canonical book if he just chose another psalm from someone else and linked it to Psalm 2, because Psalm 1 and 2 are linked. They are the introduction to the book of Psalms. And the way they are linked, you can see it starts with how blessed is the man who does not follow the advice of the wicked and so forth, Psalm 1, 1. And then Psalm two twelve it ends with how blessed are all those who take refuge in the Son, in him. So the those sort of form uh, an apostrophe around or bookends around the beginning of Psalm 1 and the end of Psalm 2.12. Now, the canonical may have picked another psalm, an anonymous one, put it there to link them two together to function as the introduction. But the introduction is, Psalm 1 is meditate on God's Word, and the result will be discovery of the Son, the Messiah, in Psalm 2. So that's the imagery there of Psalm 1 and 2 together. So it may have been another Psalm of David that he linked together, or it may be just another Psalm that he linked these two together with a Psalm of David. Uh, So I don't know for sure. I can't speak categorically if David did it, but I think it's possible because Psalm 2 is a Psalm of David and they were linked that way. Okay. How do we know the ones by David or by Moses were, I mean, I know the little subscript tells us that. The, the superscription, yeah. yeah. But how do, I mean, when they wrote it, is it just that it was passed down orally that, oh, David said this and this is what he prayed? or how, Maybe how he do signed them. I don't know. <laughs> the questions that you don't, you know, fully think through. Yeah. It's like, I, how did, how do we even know this? Yeah. Well, like they, they were maybe attributed to them or they actually... Uh, had them with writings of them, you know, that they... But, you know, the the canonicler of the Psalms took a whole bunch of Psalms. There were probably many, many more Psalms written, and he put them into a carefully organized five-volume book to match the Torah. Uh, it's 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 got a message about the coming king, uh, the Messianic king. So mm-hmm. that's the message of the Psalms. So there's an actual method to how they are placed together. Like we I think when we look at the Psalms so often we we split them into 
individual. That we treat them. We treat them like 150 separate books, we do. right? We do. Yeah. And yeah. and so even you saying Psalm one and two go together, it's like wait, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. What? How, how do we how do we know when they go together or or should we just study like like it says at the beginning, the book of Psalms, book one. Psalms 1 yeah. through 41. And I know that um, Today in the Word over the last several years has done studies on the different books of Psalms, yeah, meaning Psalms. those those volumes. five volumes within Psalms. Yeah. But should is is that how we should be studying them? Yeah, we should. By the and, individual uh, volumes? Yeah, books? and all, well not just the volumes, but the from Psalm to Psalm, reading them in context the same way that we read uh, all books of the Bible in context. Yeah, yeah, read them in context. Look for words or concepts that link, uh, I call them in class verbal, that's words, and thematic links from psalm to psalm. Sometimes it's the word like blessed in Psalm 1-1 and 2-12. Uh, but sometimes there are other words that are picked up. And part of the problem is we're working in English translation. If you read Hebrew, Sometimes the words are clearly, there's more similar, you can pick up the similarities of the words. Uh, the other thing uh, is, I, I would recommend, uh, and maybe we can post this and then we'll go to break, but one of the things that we can post is that there, on the Facebook page, there is a wonderful explanation of how the Psalms are put together by the Bible Project. And it shows the verbal and thematic links from psalm to psalm. Also, uh, that wonderful little commentary, we've used it as a resource before, and it's in the Moody Bible commentary too, but uh, what, what we've done is a psalm, John uh, Salhammer, in his little NIV compact Bible commentary, tries to show, at least from psalm to psalm, what the links are. Uh, and uh, we, have used, we have also tried to do that in the Moody Bible commentary. So, uh, that might help you as you read the Psalms to see how they relate one to another. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Can I can I do a spoiler? I don't know if I can do this. Um, starting next week, so starting July and yeah. August, our thank you gift will be the Psalms and Proverbs excerpt from the Moody Bible Commentary. Oh, can cool. I, can, I, can I do that? Yeah, don't yeah. Don't tell anyone. Okay, but, it's a big secret. <laughs> I don't know if it's a secret, but that'll start yeah. next Saturday. So yeah. so that, what you're talking about, that would be in that, right? Because it would be in the yeah. Psalms part of the exactly. commentary. So if you already have yep. the commentary, check it out. If yep. you don't, you can give a gift yep. next month and you can get a copy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, we're going to take a break here. Thank you, Tricia. That you're was welcome. one question. We're going to have know, to have a few sorry. more next time. But that was, we, we talked a lot about the Psalms. That was great. We did. And some good Bible uh, and, study things to apply. Yeah. And, and you check out uh, the, the Bible Project Psalms uh, I'll get explanation. That posted. Yeah. It's great. Uh, seven minutes worth your time. We're going to be right back with more of your questions right here on Open Line with Michael Radelnik and Tricia McMillan. Stay right there. Welcome back to Open Line. I'm Michael Ray Delnick. I'm so glad that you're listening in today. I'm having a great time studying the Word with you. Before we go right back to the phones, I do want to mention the offer from Chosen People Ministries. Uh, 
And that's because Israel, we just got back from Israel, Israel's always in the news. Uh, that nation is facing political, diplomatic, even violence, all sorts of struggles. And people wonder, what's the future of Israel? Is there a good future planned? Well, Chosen People Ministries, one of our underwriters, an organization that reaches Jewish people worldwide, is offering a book called Israel's Glorious Future. It is based on God's covenants and promises that he made to Israel, which assures them that indeed Israel does have a glorious future. If you'd like a copy, a free copy of the book, Israel's Glorious Future, just go to openlineradio.org. That's our website, not chosen people, openlineradio.org. Scroll down to the link that says a free gift from Chosen People Ministries. Click on that. You'll be taken to a page where you can sign up for your own free copy of Israel's Glorious Future. And we're going to speak, speaking of Israel, with Mary right now in Lithia, Florida? Listening to WKES. Yeah. Hey, Mary, how can I help you today? Hi, Michael. Thanks for taking my call. My sure. question is regarding Matthew, verse 24, and he is speaking, I mean, fifteen twenty-four. He is mm-hmm. speaking to the Gentile mother, and his his reply was, the verse says, he replied, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So my, my question is here, the word only, and does that take it to the cross that he only offered forgiveness for the house of Israel? If you can explain that. Yeah, well, first of all, he did uh, uh, have mercy on this woman because her daughter was cruelly tormented by a demon. And after she persisted, uh, Jesus replied to her, Woman, your faith is great. Let it done, be done for you as you want. So really when it talks about only, it's talking about his priority because he actually ministered to this woman, did he not? He yeah, did it. she did. Yeah. And also when he sent the disciples out in Matthew 10, what did he tell them? Uh uh, uh, Romans, uh, Romans, uh, Matthew, Matthew ten five. Jesus sent out these twelve after giving them instructions: Don't take the road leading to other nations. Don't enter any Samaritan town. Instead, go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So, uh, what do we do with that? Well. It seems to me that one of the things that there are some people who argue that God's program never changes. Uh, now, God never changes. He's the same. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His nature never changes. His being never changes. But his program does. Because clearly in Matthew 10 and 15, he says that he and his disciples are only going to the lost sheep of the house of, the house of Israel. And then right before his ascension, Matthew 28 at the Great Commission, uh, what does he say? They go up to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them, and they saw him, they worshipped him. Then Jesus said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. So the program changes now. The disciples are to go, and you read Acts 1, beginning in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to the remotest part of the earth, to Rome is what that plan was. And so we see, and then also when you see in the book of Acts, uh, 
one of the things that you see is that Paul, what does he always do? He always goes to the Jewish people first. Did you ever notice that? He's always going to the synagogue? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's what he's doing. And uh, even when he... Uh, uh, even in Acts 14, when he says that he is going to... I think it's in Acts uh, 14. Uh, when the... Uh, no, it's not in Acts 14. But what he what he says is it was necessary to preach to you first, he says to Jewish people. Uh, but then he says, but now he's going to turn to the Gentiles. But he doesn't say why it was necessary to preach to the Jewish people first. However, he then goes in the next place he goes, he goes to the Jewish people first again. So that was just obviously a local limitation. And then... Uh, Here's my, my point. Uh, he said, uh, he says this, and he's always going to bring the gospel to the Jewish people first uh, because, and this, this is crucial, it's based on Romans 1.16. Romans 1.16 says that, uh, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first. Now, what does that first mean? To the Jewish people especially. Jesus had to be the Jewish Messiah in order to be the Messiah of the world. That's why the initial presentation of the gospel was exclusively to Jews. After the resurrection, it was for the whole world, but it always remained preeminently a Jewish message. It's why today we still need to keep bringing the good news to the Jewish people. It's why it's so essential. That's why Paul did what he did, uh, and it's what we all should be doing one of the i often think that in terms of missions jewish outreach is god's people treat it like it's the stepchild but it's it's obviously vital even though jewish people are not as open as other people they still remain special in god's eye, and the message is especially a jewish message that's what that's talking about mary thanks for your call that's the first hour everyone we're going to be back with another hour of open line in just a uh few minutes so just take that break check out our website in between openlineradio.org second hour of open line is coming up straight ahead with more of your questions open line with dr michael ray Delman is a production of moody radio a ministry of moody bible Institute. stay with us we're coming right back for the second hour